Here it is Thursday night already, and the time of this week has just flown. I don't know where it's gone, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've enjoyed the fellowship. I've enjoyed uh, meeting many of you young people, and I've especially enjoyed the kind and gentle and generous attention I've received in the kitchen. I have enjoyed that greatly. And uh, I don't know any place I like to be any more than I like to be here. I feel at home, and uh, I feel like a part of the crowd. I don't have to have all the attention. I don't like that anyhow. I like to be able to sit out somewhere on a stump or get a wall off to myself. I enjoy that, and I, I, I've really enjoyed this week. It's been great. And it is such a joy to see Brother and Mrs. Reese tonight. They're two of my favorite people. And uh, they broke me in real good about how many years ago? Lord, 40 years ago? Uh, Not that long. 30 years, I guess. 28 years. I came out of the mountains, green as a gourd, uh, hardly knew a fork from a spoon. And they had me down for a Thanksgiving dinner. And Mrs. Reese just set the table, boy, elegantly, and uh, had all the nice silverware out just in uh, in place. I didn't even know what half of it was for. And uh, I stiff as a board. I didn't know what to do. They had really put on the dog. And I sat down. I'm not going to tell you what happened then. But uh, I picked up a spoon that had a hole in it. I was trying to get my sugar out, you know. And uh, I began to see right off that these were my kind of people. Down to earth. And they made me feel at home. And I felt like that ever since. And uh, so good to see them tonight. And good to have those who are visiting with us here for the first time. It's good to have you in the services this evening. Tonight my text is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15. Proverbs chapter 13 and the 15th verse. I hope if you haven't marked this verse, you will do so. And you'll really begin to ask the Lord to teach you the greater meaning of this passage of Scripture. Proverbs 13 and verse number 15. And here is what the wise man said under divine inspiration. Notice it carefully. Good understanding giveth favor or brings blessing. But the way of the transgressors is hard. Many people in our world, and I guess not only many, but all of us, find it a very difficult thing to learn the lesson that this verse bears to our heart and mind. And that is the lesson that the way of transgression, of rebellion, of sin, is indeed a very hard, a severe, a very unhappy and tragic way of life. One thing I learned many years ago as I was reading the scripture and that that truth that I learned has been proven to me day after day in my life is a truth found in the Psalms in Psalm 56 where David said, for God is for me. Now it's wonderful to have a lot of influential people in this earth and in this world for you But it is better still to know that God is for you. And God is your friend and he loves you and desires to give you the very best in life. 
but as a loving father and a compassionate God, there are many times when we somehow just rebel against all of the expressions of love that he gives to us. We have a tendency to kick the traces, to jump over the fence, and to say, I will go my own route. I will ignore what God has taught me and what God says to me. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to have it my own way. But yet to know that whatever God says, that though it may seem severe at the moment, he says it and he does it because he loves us and he is for us and wants us to experience the very best that he has in this life and in the life to come. But yet the lesson of transgression and the fact that it brings heartache and hardship and heartbreak is a hard lesson for us to learn as rebellious men and women. But yet we find in this passage uh, that Solomon spoke the truth, that it is a very difficult uh, and a hard uh, way. But yet I'm going to give you tonight four ways uh, or four things that if you can accomplish, uh, you can sin and enjoy it, uh, or you can sin and get by with your sin. Uh, strange as that may sound, I think you'll agree with me when I point out these four obstacles that stand in the way of man enjoying his sin and getting by with it. The first obstacle that stands in the way of man and keeps him from enjoying, in his, enjoying his sin is the fact of the divine creator. God is a very stubborn fact. The Bible reveals that he is from everlasting to everlasting. Before the mountains were formed, before the worlds were ever spoken into existence, God was. In fact, there has never been a time when God was not. And there will never be a time in the eons before us in the future that God is not. He is there. I used to say to my mother when I was but a lad and questions began to fill my mind about God, I'd come into her and say, Mama, where did God come from? Have you ever wondered that? And mother would say to me in her own gentle way, Son, God didn't come from anywhere. You are the one who came from Him. God has always been. And yet though that was a simple answer, it is the factual and truthful answer. For God is the eternal and the everlasting God. But man in his pursuit of sin and in the walking of a rebellious way does not like to recognize the fact of God. Though the command of the Bible is, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Think about him now. Recognize him now. And submit to him now is the teaching of the word of God. Do not wait till the scars of life come and the heartache and the heartbreak comes. But now in the tender days of youth, we are commanded to remember our creator. 
But you see, man does with that commandment of God what he has done with all of the rest. He has ignored it. He refuses to think about God and for a very simple reason. Man who would pursue his sin and indulge in sin and try to enjoy his sin cannot do so as long as the fact of God is there. And so he thinks if I can somehow uh, ignore and not remember God, God will just go away. But I'm going to tell you something. Whether you remember God or not, and whether you recognize Him or not, He will always be there. And when thrones and kingdoms and worlds have been destroyed and literally obliterated, God will yet always be So the wise man gains favor by coming to the understanding that God, the Creator, is there. Now the Bible says in the book of the Psalms 14 and verse 1 that the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. In reality, the psalmist is saying the fool hath said no God. He is saying, I do not believe that he exists. But yet to anybody who has the brain the size of a peanut and one eye that can observe anything around him has to recognize that God, the creator, is behind all of the orderliness of all creation. When you look up into the starry host at night and the stars there and the planets are ever in their orb, the shining of the moon, the radiance of the sun, all of that that is in the universe tells us that God is there. When you look at the orderliness of humanity as far as his body is concerned and the miracle of his body and the functions of his body, you have to come to the conclusion that behind all of that design, there must be a designer. Behind all that is created, there must be a creator. Who could ever imagine sensibly that all of the intricate movements of the universe and all that we know in creation happened to come into existence by an accident? Could all of that happen by some kind of a freakish accident? A lot of atheistic scientists try to tell you that. But all that chance is one in many billions and trillions and quadrillions. In fact, I do not believe there is a chance whatsoever that creation came as a result of a freakish accident of nature. Any more can I believe that than I can believe that the watch I hold in my hand happened by an accident. Can you imagine me telling you that this watch came about as a result of my walking down a pathway one day? And I looked down there and I found some shiny little gold objects. I picked them up and put them in my pocket. I found a glass crystal. I found a few little gold hands and I put them all in my pocket. I walked home and opened the lid of my wife's washing machine and threw all those parts out of my pocket into the washer and pushed the lid down, mashed the button and backed up and waited for about 20 minutes and found 
finally when the bell rings, I go over, lift up the lid, and pull out this watch that I hold in my hand, keeping perfect time, telling the second of the minute, the minute, the hour, the hour of the day, and in the case of this watch, the day of the week and the day of the month. Could that have happened by an accident, you suppose? I tell you, there is not a chance that could have happened by an accident. And neither do I believe that the book I hold in my hand, this Bible, with all of the hundreds and thousands of words in this Bible, in order and understandably placed, I could not believe that happened by an explosion in a printer shop. Could you believe that it happened like that? A big bomb goes off and all the words fall in place. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 in order. And book after book. What silly reasoning that is. In fact, it is no reasoning at all. It is tomfoolery. And yet many a person would ignore the fact of God, even in spite of all of the overwhelming evidence that is about us in creation, in the world, the universe, and even in our human body itself. God then is to be remembered, but men do not like to remember him they would rather say, no God, and think that he'll go away by reason of their unbelief. I'm going to tell you now, an atheist can denounce the very existence of God, but God does not oblige the atheistic mind and go away so as to keep the atheist from being embarrassed and shown up by his ignorance. Not at all. There are some who as well deny the fact of a burning hell. The Jehovah's Witness, alias Watchtower Society, alias Skunk Society, and all the rest. And they'll come around and say, there's no hell. Oh, no, they deny that. But he'll tell you this. They have the, the God who made hell does not put the fire out in that place because someone says, I do not believe it. And yet again, young person, let me apply the same principle to the truth of the verse we have read. And that is just because you not believe that there will be hardship and trial and tragedy and heartbreak and ruin and death as a result of transgression. It will not keep it from coming to pass for the way of the transgressor is hard. May I quote that verse in Psalm 14 and verse 1 and use just a little different emphasis. The fool has said in his heart, no God. But let me say it like this. The fool has said in his heart, no God. You know what he's saying? The foolish man, the foolish young person says in his heart, no God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm ignoring what you have declared. I'm going to live my own life and do as I please. And the Bible would conclude that we are fools for doing so. Well, let me emphasize the same statement again in this manner. The fool will say, no, God. One day when foolish, rebellious, sinning men stand before a thrice holy God and hear his sentence of eternal banishment and the fire of hell, men shall scream, no, God, anything but that, not hell for me. But no, 
His denial, his rebellion, his crying, no, not that, will not alter the sentence of divine judgment upon unrepentant men and women and boys and girls. So there is the divine creator, an obstacle that man must remove if he is ever going to enjoy his sin. You see, a man doesn't like to think about God for the same reason the thief doesn't like to think about the police officer coming in and finding him in the actual committing of his crime. There is a certain fear that gnaws in the heart of men who do wrong. There is an inward knowledge, an innate knowledge uh, that God is there and God knows and God sees uh, and God is holy and God will deal with sin. If you could do away with the creator then, you might be able to sin and enjoy it. But remembering him brings discomfort and misery. I never will forget when I was a boy growing up, I used to, play, I used to love to play ball down in the cow pasture. But every morning before my dad would go to work, he'd say, son, I've got a certain thing I want you to do. Don't fail to do it. And I'd say, yes, sir, I'll do it. But sure enough, I'd get interested in the ball game down in Frank Dyer's cow pasture, and down we'd go. I never forget one day I stood the batter's box and the fellow wound up and hurled the ball down and I reared back and gave it everything I had and hit the ball and knocked it out over every cow's head in the pasture and over the pasture fence and boy, I never felt so good in my life. I ran around those bases, my heart pumping, a smile on my face and I was just laughing away as I rounded first and second and started down to third and the few that had gathered around were cheering and clapping and urging me to keep running and as I started to third I happened to look up on the mountain road and dad's old 39 Chevrolet was rolling in the yard all of the joy that I had swiftly went away I thought, boy, I'm having a good time. But oh, when I remembered Dad, all of that joy was gone like sticking a pin in a balloon full of air. All of the air went out. And young man or woman, perhaps you have already found that. You have found that though you thought sin was the great elating thing in life and the joy and the happiness you really sought, then came the knowledge of God. And the Bible says this in the book of Romans 14 and verse 12. So then, every one of us, must give an account of himself to God. You see, if you could do wrong and let it go at that, it might not be so bad on you. But the Bible says of this everlasting God that every one of us will give an account of himself to God. You'll answer to God for what you do. You'll answer to God for what you failed to do that he told you to do. You'll answer to God for the thoughts of the mind, the attitude of the heart, the motives of life. There is coming someday a reckoning day when we will answer to the Lord God. But men want to do away with this thought of God. And they think foolishly, if I can ignore God and refuse to think about him, I can enjoy my sin. You might as well try to put the fire and the sun out with a water pistol as you had to do away with God by your unbelief. You might as well try to dam the river Niagara up with a box of toothpicks that you get from the grocery store as you would to think by my unbelief and by my refusal to think of God, I won't be bothered with God. But you're going to face him. 
And someday the Creator will stand before and give an answer to Him. So if you can do away with the Creator, you might be able to enjoy your sin and get by with your sin. But there's a second obstacle. And that obstacle is the commands of this divine Creator. The commandments of God are there. They're written down for us. But you know what you can do? If you could actually gather every Bible that's ever been printed by man, every page upon which the commands of God are written, pile them up and have the biggest bonfire the world has ever heard of until the flames reached literally to outer space and burn every leaf and every word printed in this Bible and do away with it, do you realize you would have not done away with the commands of God? The Bible said, thy word is forever settled in heaven. God's word, the Bible said, though heaven and earth shall pass away, my word shall not pass away. God's word is as eternal as God himself. And thus, if man is going to enjoy his sin, he's going to have to do away with the commands. Now, men have had it tried in many a futile attempt to do away with the commands of God. Granddaddy Ken Solving and his group of new, moral, new morality crowd came along a few years ago and tried to do away with the Ten Commandments. And he said, we live in a new age. We live in a new generation. And we've got new mores. We've got new ideas. We've got new lifestyles. So let's go away with those old commandments that we've been taught from the Bible. And we'll write some new ones. And we'll be rid of that. We can throw away our inhibition. We can do whatever we want to do, whatever our lust demands, whatever we desire. We can do that and enjoy life if we can do with the Bible. But hey, the new morality crowd came along, but I'll tell you something. The commandments of God are still there. And one day, those who violate those commandments will answer to the God who set up the orderliness and the law and the authority of this very world of his. And he set them up for our benefit. Now God, when he gives commandments in his word, does not give them because he dislikes us. But he gives them to us because he loves us. They're words of instruction. And by the way, when I talk about commandments, I do not altogether refer to the just simply the Ten Commandments. But refer to every order and command and utterance that God has given in his word and those ten commandments included. But yet God has given them for our benefit and for our blessing. Remember I said from Psalm 56, David declared, this I know for God is for me. The laws that are created for us in this state or in your state are created by man for your benefit. Now sometimes man makes a mistake. But those laws are made for the purpose of the orderliness of society. And we are commanded and urged in the word of God that we are to obey every ordinance of man. But yet he has set them up for our benefit and for our blessing. Can you imagine some idiot parading down in front of the Capitol and saying tomorrow morning, I object to this law that you have given us in this country for us to drive on the right-hand side of the road. 
By that law, you're taking away my freedom and my liberty, and you're not letting me do what I want to do. I want to drive on the left-hand side of the road. I think some people... I think some people read the law like that. Evidently, the way some folks I know in South Carolina and Georgia drive. But the law said drive on the right-hand side. Why? Why not let everybody just do what they want to do? Well, I'll tell you why. You'd wind up in the graveyard, the hospital. Somebody said, oh, I don't care what the law says. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my car tonight and I'm going to drive on the left-hand side of the road. Help yourself. But we'll probably be picking you up with a shovel. And we'll need to send flowers and words of sympathy to your family. Oh, you say, that's a restriction. I want to be a liberated man. I want to be a liberated woman. I don't want any of this restriction. I want to do what I want to do. Now, grant you God will let you do that. But you must remember there's a consequence. The way of the transgressors is hard. Somebody said, I'm not going to be tied down and have all these laws and restrictions on me. I'll show the world I'm a liberated woman or man. I'm going to climb up on top of the tallest building in Augusta, Georgia, and I'm going to jump all of it and defy that stupid law of gravity. Well, we'll be shoveling you up too. You're going to defy it. You're going to show yourself something smart and big and make a name for yourself. And yet, my friend, you're only acting the fool. So the word of God reveals that God's commandments are for our benefit. Now, here's the verse I want you to get in your heart. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, you'll find these words. Listen carefully. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That sound like God's for you? Does to me. Lord said, hey, I want you to have my best, but I've got some requirement. All I'm asking you to do is be willing and obedient, obeying what I've taught you, what I've, read, what I've given to you, what I've revealed to you in the Word. Be obedient, surrender, submit yourself. If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But look at the next verse. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now get this. God's plan for your life is that Christ have the central part of your life. That he reign in your heart. That he be the very center of all your life. And when Christ is in the center of your life, then your life can run orderly and smoothly and blessedly and happily. But if you remove Christ and refuse him a place in the center of your life, your life becomes imbalanced. Now some of you fellows and some of you girls know something about a motor, an electric motor or an engine. One thing for sure, if that motor is off balance, you know what will happen to it? It will destroy itself. It will literally beat itself to death. Like a tire on your automobile. If it is not in round, if it is out of balance, it will eventually, unless corrected, destroy itself. And I'm going to summon this audience right here tonight, and your life is out of balance. 
You haven't placed Christ in the center of your life. And what's happening in your life is that you're literally destroying yourself and the sword of divine judgment comes upon you. The Lord would have you to keep him in the center. Be obedient and willing to do what he's asked you to do in the word. For he's saying, I'm for you. I want to bless you. I want you to have the best. But if you refuse rebel, destruction's coming. Adam was placed in the garden of Eden. And the Lord said, Adam, you have everything in this garden with exception of one thing. And that's the very thing Adam wanted. He took of the forbidden fruit. As a result, he lost access to all that God had given him. And God drove him from the garden. Adam, my friend, brought on himself destruction. Why? Because he said, I want to have it my way. I want to live it my way. I rebel against your commands. I'm going to live my own life. As a result, he brought death and destruction upon the human family. Look what Adam said brought. Some of you have had the sad experience of having to go across a graveyard, fall in the casket of a mother, a father, a friend, an acquaintance. You know why? Adam sinned. First by one man sent into the world and death by sin. And so death hath passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Well, every time you pass a graveyard, Every time you're reminded of a funeral, every time a loved one or a friend dies, you ought to despise sin even the more and hate sin more. For sin is the culprit. Transgression is the very enemy of the soul of man that would damn us and bring death and disaster. And yet instead of that, we sometimes hate the preacher. We hate the mother and dad who teaches us the word of God. We rebelled and hate the scripture itself. And God's saying, I'm your friend. I want you to have my very best in life, but you can never have it if you walk country. You see, God has a path for you to follow. And as long as you stay in that path, you enjoy the benefit of all of God's blessing. But you get out of bounds, and life is a tragedy. Hey. Any man or woman or young person who's never learned obedience is dangerous. He becomes a danger to himself, to his family, to his friends, to society. He is a danger. Have you ever tried to ride a horse that's never been brought under subjection? I dare say you didn't ride him long. A horse is of little benefit if he's not trained and brought to do what his master tells him. An automobile is a nice thing. And all we enjoy riding in that air-conditioned comfort. We enjoy being able to get from one place to the other. We enjoy the fact that it. But you know an automobile is dangerous if it's not under control. And your life is dangerous if it is not brought under control. But man is a rebel without a cause. He rebels against... He said, Mama, you know what? Bill, she said, what? He said, Mama, I just hate school. Oh, she said, you do? What do you hate about school? Well, he said, I just hate it. That's what. Well, she don't understand, son. You're making good grades in school. Let me ask you, son. Do you really not like to learn? You don't like to learn about the other countries, about how things work and 
the things are always said, I like that. And the little booger is curious. He likes to learn. He tires up all the clocks, see what makes them run. Tires the radio up, see if he can get that man out of there that's talking. <laughs> He's curious. Oh, he has a natural desire to learn. And finally, my, mom, my wife said, uh, Honey, what did you really don't like about school? Well, he said, I'll tell you. get a drink of water or go to the bathroom, I have to raise my hand and say, Miss Woodall, can I go get a drink of water? Or he said, I don't like it when she says, you better have this chapter read in your book tomorrow or you're going to get a paddling. I don't like it. You know what my little lad was really saying? He is saying, Mama, I don't like authority. I don't like anybody to tell me what to do and what not to do. Do you know that's part of your nature? That's part of my nature. We don't want to be told anything. We don't want any kind of authority. And man's trouble from the beginning has been that very thing. When Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, came to this world, you know what they said? We will not have this man, what? Rule over us. We don't want him. We don't want any authority. We want to live like we want to live, do what we want to do. But God is saying in his word, I've given you my authority. I've given you my word. I've given you my instruction. And say, that's what this Bible is. It's a word of instruction. It tells you how life ought to operate. But many a person say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to operate my life like a woman. How foolish. What if you, as a wife, your husband decided he didn't want to wash dishes by hand anymore, so he bought you a dishwasher. He brings it home. You say, oh, that's wonderful. That's nice. I'm glad you got this. Well, he said, I hope you enjoy it. He goes around his business, come back in the house, and the wife's all dressed up, nice, beautiful. And he said, what are you dressed up for? Well, she said, I thought we'd go downtown tonight and have supper out. Fine, he said. Well, jump in. And she opens the door of the dishwasher and says, Get in. We're going to ride down down the dishwasher. We're going down and just show them this. We're going to ride down in this thing. And the husband said, Have you lost your mind? That's a dishwasher, not an automobile. And the instructions say that you're washed dishes. You're not to ride in it like you're riding a car. That's not what the manufacturer made it for. I don't care what they made it for. I want to ride in a dishwasher. Get in, old gal, and get washed. Now, here's the thing. God gives his word and his command as instruction. And then he first said, I don't care what you have done to run my life. You make a mess out of it. You wreck your life. You ruin your life. You destroy your life by refusing to submit to God's authority. God has a plan for your life, and that plan is in fellowship and in harmony with Him. In obedience, this commands, and listen, those commands are there. Thou shalt not steal. That's still there. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That means sexual immorality. The commandment's still there. You say, I don't care what God said, I'm going to live like I want to live. Everybody else doing this, that, and everybody else doing it, so why can't I? Go ahead. But you're riding down the left-hand side of the road. You're jumping off the tallest building. You're headed for trouble. And the Lord 
saying I love you and I care about you. And I'm saying to you, if you'll be willing and obedient, you'll have the best. Do you know, young man or woman, all the devil offers you is counterfeit. It's garbage. But what God offers to you is the best. The devil's come along to many a teenager in this day because of the emphasis and the message of Hollywood. And they're listening to the lie of the devil. It says premarital sex is all right. Now you run that route and you're headed for trouble. You ought to sit across the desk sometime from me when I sit there and have to counsel for broken-hearted men and women because they violated God's order in that realm. It's no laughing matter then. There's no giggling sensation then when broken-hearted people are ready to blow their brains out and literally come to the end of their road and they find out that the way of the transgressor is hard, it is severe, it's heartbreaking. And would to God you who are in this building had learned that lesson before the heartbreak comes. Violate his word and tragedy comes. God has a plan, but the devil tries to get you to kick the traces. You know, you go to school and you hear that gang down in the locker room saying, Did we really have a blowout this last weekend? Man, I got lit up. Boy, did we ever have a ball. You stand over there as a teenager and you, the devil said, uh-huh. See there? See what you're missing? See what that old, that old funny preacher, that old-fashioned kind of teaching does for you? It just leaves out all the good times in life. Hey, wait a minute. One thing you need to do is look down the road and go visit a few of those in the hospital who are dying with venereal and social disease. Visit a few of those characters who got had a big blast and got lit up by beer, wine, and liquor over the weekend and go find them down on Skid Row wallowing in their own vomit. Go down to the hospital and see that fellow, that girl, who really thought it was smart and cute and, and, and a big show to get lit up on drugs and narcotics and find them with their brains diminished to nothing but a vegetable and making gurgling sounds that you can't even understand. That's sin, payday. The way of the transgressor is hard. Oh, how appealing it looks at the moment, but how deadly it is. Say it's like this. God has a plan for your life, and he wants you to walk in his word, but the devil tempts you and leaves you out. And you get in trouble. Go down here to the water. Say down here to one of the lakes. And as you walk by there, and all you folks, man, you've been having a time uh, paddling in a canoe and swimming and having all these games. And I watched you one day trying to get that green watermelon. Uh, I, I had a time laughing at you over that. Up here on a ball field playing, having a big time cheering, carrying on. What if two fish are swimming along down here in the lake? One turned to his friend and he said, hey, you know what? No. I think the creator cheated us. Don't you see what a good time that gang's having out there? Boy, wouldn't you like to be out there in that ballpark playing ball and look at that. Oh, man, such a good time. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? And they'll fish and they'll be careful. 
I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip my tail and I'm going to jump out on the shore and I'm going to live out there and do what they're doing. Now, he said, now hold it a minute. You remember what the preacher said last Sunday? You remember what we've been taught that the creator places your made us this and if we'll stay here, we can have this or this will be the fulfillment of our very life and of our existence. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going out and flips his tail and up on the beach. Before long, everybody's gathering around him. Boy, the fish is flipping up and flopping up and down. Boy, he's giving it that, you know. And everybody gathered around and said, man, isn't he having a good time? Wow, look at him go. Boy, he's really living it up, isn't he? Wow, and watch him jump. Watch him flip. And the fish thinks to himself, boy, I'm really living, aren't I? To tell you the truth, he's dead and doesn't know it. And you flip out on the salt on the sand. And she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You're a walking dead person. Judgment is already pronounced upon you. You've gotten out of the channel of God's ordained path for your life. And you're headed for heartache and heartbreak. A woman said to me a few years ago, weeping, I chose my own way in life as a Christian teenager. Oh, I was saved. But God called me to the mission field. And I said, I'm not going. She said, I married a man. And our life has been an up and down affair. So many heartaches and heartbreaks. She said, if I had my life to live over, I would say, yes, oh God, it's the mission field for me. Now you get out of God's plan for your life and you're headed for trouble. The will of God can be known. And the way you start in that pathway is to come to Christ. To know him as your savior. To trust him as your Lord. To be born again. And then as you walk with him you experience the best of God's blessing and benefit in your very life. So the commandments are there. Ignore them if you want to. Dig your home, bury your Bible, but it's still be there. And you go on in your sin thinking, boy, I'm going to really enjoy this. And one day the memory of what God has said will come back to haunt your life and drain every ounce of happiness you could have ever had. Then there's a third thing. If you could remove, you could enjoy your sin. Not only must you remove the Creator and His commandments, but there's an inner voice called conscience. If you could really do away with conscience and obliterate him and destroy him, perhaps you could enjoy your sin. But you see, God gave every man a conscience. Conscience was born in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam was found of the Lord over there hiding, the, and Adam said, we were naked and we hid ourselves. And the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Conscience was there. An inner voice that pointed him in the wrong or the right direction. Now, conscience is not always the best guide. It's not wise to always follow conscience, but let me say this. Conscience exposed to the truth of the Word of God can be a great aid in directing you in the right path in life. And conscience has often brought men great misery in life. They thought they could sin, do wrong, 
and they'd never be bothered with it again. But that little creature named conscience goes to bed with you. He keeps you awake at night. He robs you of your appetite. He makes you miserable when you could be happy. He reminds you of the wrong that you've done in life and drains all of the joy and the happiness out of life. Conscience is there. I remember hearing the story told years ago about a man in an eastern town who committed a crime, the crime of murder. He was above reproach in his community and nobody suspected him of the terrible deed. He thought to himself, I'll move from this town out into the state of Texas. He settled down in a little town out there of a small population. Soon he was well accepted by all the people. For 20 years he lived in that little town. In those years, they honored him as citizen of the year. He was elected to some of the official positions of the little town. Everybody admired him. Everybody looked up to him. But the man was terribly miserable. One day, after almost 20 years, he walked into the sheriff's office, trembling and pale, and said to the sheriff as he called him by his name, Sir, I have a crime I wish to confess. The sheriff looked at him with a smile on his face and said, uh, What on earth, what kind of crime have you got to confess? And the man with tears now streaming down his face said, I can stand it no longer, sir. I confessed to the murder of a certain man and gave his name back in an eastern town. The sheriff, needless to say, was shocked. And after a few moments, he looked at the man and said, Sir, why? Why, after all of these years and after all that, all that you have gained in this town, why do you come in here and ruin it all by confessing this terrible crime? And the man said, Sheriff, I've lived in a veritable hell for these years. Every time I walk down the street and someone comes up to me and catches me by the arm, I think it's the officer of the law who's come to arrest me. I lie down on my bed at night and he said, I've slept very little in these 20 years. My sleep has been restless, what little I've had. He said, the wind blows and the shutters bang against the house or some limb beats against the roof and I'm awakened and frightened and cold perspiration on my brow. I think to myself, they've come to arrest me. I can't stand it anymore. Like a wolverine tracking its prey. A little bitty animal, the wolverine, who's able to walk down and run down the mighty elk or moose. An animal many times its size. The moose starts out and sees the wolverine trailing him. Frightened he becomes, his heart beats faster and he runs the faster to get away from him. And yonder he stops on some ridge. And looking back with nostrils flared and breath that is hard. And, and, and looking back, he sees the wolverine coming steadily at an even pace. And the moose turns in a fast run again. The same thing is repeated over and over until finally the moose is exhausted. He falls down unable to move and the wolverine with a steady pace comes to him. That's the way sin is. It'll catch up with you. 
you may outrun it for a while and you may somehow push conscience, even conscience, in the back quarters of your mind and your conscious memory. But I'm going to tell you, conscience will come back again. And though you may muffle it and push it aside one day, perhaps when you are lingering near the door of death, conscience will point a thousand accusing fingers in your face and remind you of a wrong in your life. A man called me the other day frantically, and he said, Preacher, I've just got to talk to you. I've got to talk to you. And I said, Sure, meet me, at the, meet me at a certain place, and I'll be glad to talk with you. And it wasn't long after I arrived, this fellow came up in his pickup truck and got out and walked in. And he was shaking and pale, and he said, Preacher, I missed death that far today. I said, What do you mean? He said, I'm not stretching it that far. I work on a construction game. We're raised, we're putting up some giant steel beams. They said the crane reached down and picked one of those steel beams with many, many tons of weight up in the air. And I was watching it and guiding it. And all of a sudden, I heard a snap. And I saw that giant beam start falling. And I knew it was going to fall right on me. And he said, I was so frightened, I couldn't even move. I was frozen in my tracks. But he said, when I saw it start to fall, and knew that death would be upon me in his second. All of a sudden it seemed every wrong thing I'd ever done flashed before my eyes. And he said in a fleeting lightning split second I cried, Oh God have mercy, I don't want to die like this. And he said when the beam fell it hit the ground that far from me. And the impact of it knocked me backward and unconscious for a moment. When I came to I realized that God in mercy had spared me. But then I remembered my sin, my wrong in life. And he said preacher I couldn't face God like that. I want to be saved. I want my sin and my past forgiven. Conscience had come back. And in that fleeting second reminded him. I'll tell you something. One day that conscience that you may have known, made dulled and muffled will again remind you, well, I'm talking to somebody here tonight. And if the Holy Spirit and the Word of God were not even present, conscience is saying in your heart, the right thing for you to do is turn from the sin in your life and get right with God and come to Jesus Christ. Some of you tried to push that aside. You tried to ignore that why not do the wise thing? Good understanding gives favor. It brings blessing. The understanding of walking with God, of getting right with God now. Conscience is there. And then there's a fourth obstacle, and I'll mention it and I'll close. And that's the obstacle of the consequence of sin. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. There's a payday to sin. You never sin and get by. You know that? You never do wrong and get by. God keeps a record, the old song used to say, and he keeps note of the sins of your life and mine. Watch this. The Bible said, Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Don't be deceived. You don't laugh at God. You don't mock God for whatever you sow. You're going to reap that. But how hard it is for us human beings to ever learn that lesson. There is a consequence. My phone rang not long ago and a 
woman on the other end of the line said, crying in a hysterical voice, Preacher, come quickly. My husband is trying to kill himself. Can you come? And I said, yes, I'll be there as quickly as I can. There are a lot of things I like about the ministry, but I'm going to tell you one thing. That's one part of it I do not like. But I got into the yard of this lady's house, got out of the car and started into the house, and I could hear inside a man cursing, profane, it was profane language and cursing God and saying, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I walked to the door and I said to his wife, where is he? And she said, he locked himself in the bathroom. Old preacher, help him if you can. I walked back to the bathroom and knocked on the door. The man is still cursing violently. And after a while, as I called his name, I said, Michael, this is Brother Burl. I want to talk to you. He said, go away. I want to kill myself. I want to blow my brains out. And I said, okay, it's all right with me. But if you don't mind, will you wait till I talk with you just a few minutes? And then you can do it. He quieted down real quietly. I heard the, locks, the lock on the door snap. I opened the door. And when I did, the man sat down in the middle of the bathroom floor. just flopped down. I walked in, took the thirty-eight revolver out of his hand, laid on the sink, and sat down on the floor with him. And I said, Michael, tell me what's wrong, son. And he began to weep and sob, and then he said, after he gained composure, he began to tell me the terrible life that he had lived, a life of sin, a life of wickedness, a life of lust, a life of liquor, and on down the line he went. And then with a scream he said, Preacher, I can't stand it any longer. I can't face life. I can't face my children. I can't face my wife. I can't stand it. And I said, Michael, you can blow your brains out, but you won't get away from it. You're only Your problem, sir, is not, was not solved by taking your life, but by becoming alive in Christ. I've told you the story of that man to tell you this. There's a consequence to sin. Now, you think that will never happen to you. But you play around the devil in sin and lust and immorality, and I'll guarantee you it'll come home. And one of these days, life will become so miserable. You'll want to end it too. But life doesn't have to be like that. Life can be blessed and joyful and happy and meaningful. By the receiving of Christ in your life. And after having received him, walking humbly before him, you can have the very best that God has to offer. How can you sin and get by with it? How can you sin and enjoy it? It is utterly impossible unless you destroy God Unless you destroy his commandments. Unless you can pull conscience out from the roof. And unless you can destroy that, that, that unfailing law of sowing and reaping. What have you done in your life with Christ? Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You reject him here and you'll be rejected there. What are you doing in your life as a Christian young person? What kind of seed are you sowing in? I urge you tonight to learn early the lesson 
Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. Come to Christ and let him into your life. Follow him. Surrender your will to him that you know his best. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed, please.